shut off your emotions. He just wants our emotions to be under the authority of Jesus. God doesn't want to divorce us from the appetites of the body. He just wants those appetites under the authority of Jesus. All of our sins that we commit, our sin nature, is our thought life now outside of the authority of Jesus. And we think all sorts of either self-deprecating thoughts, where we think less of ourselves. The cross of Jesus Christ don't let you think less of yourself. Because every time you think, oh, I'm a terrible person, Jesus is like, you're right, but I love you enough to die for you. So lighten up. We all have a desire for food, but even the most basic of instincts can become deadly when it becomes a consuming desire, gluttony. It's overwhelming to realize that every desire you have could possibly lead to your destruction. But as we'll hear today, it can all be tempered under the authority of Christ. Now here's Pastor Daniel in the book of Genesis, chapter 11, verse 1, with part one of his message entitled, The Tower of Babel. In Genesis chapter 11, verse 1, it says this. It says, The whole earth had one language and one speech. And it came to pass as they journeyed from the east that they found a plain in the land of Shinar, and they dwelt there. Then they said to one another, Come, let us bake bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone, and they had asphalt for mortar. And they said, come, let us build ourselves a city, a tower whose top is in the heavens. Let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, indeed, the people are one and they all have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now, nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. So the Lord scattered them abroad from there over the face of all the earth and they ceased building the city. Therefore, its name is called Babel because there the Lord confused the language of all the earth. And from there, the Lord scattered them abroad over the face of all the earth. Now, In Genesis chapter 11, you have the invention of of the differing languages. And we're going to talk about this. But it begins so simply that the whole earth was of one language and one speech. And as they journeyed, they found a plain in the land of Shinar and they dwelt there. So you have this idea that, you know, the descendants of Shem, Ham, and Japheth, the descendants of Noah, and we just saw this at the end of Genesis 10, that they came off of the ark and they began to repopulate the earth again. And it hits a point where they all have one language, they all have one speech, and they're traveling together from the east, and they find a plain, and they say, hey, we're, we're going we're gonna to build here. We're going to build here. And it makes some sense, right? I mean, isn't that, you look at almost in mountainous areas, like where we live right now, there's, you find a plain, like, hey, this isn't a great place to build. We can set up shop here. We can set up our lives here. And, and nothing really is wrong right now. 
There's no, there's no problem with what's going on. They decided they're going to dwell there. In verse 3 it says, And they said to one another, Come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. They had brick for stone. They also had asphalt for mortar. Now, one of the themes of this chapter is the word come. Because you see it here, they say, come, let us make bricks and bake them thoroughly. Next, in verse 4, it's going to say, come, let us build ourselves a city. Then you're going to have the Lord saying, come, let us go down there and confuse their languages. Now, I think it's important because you keep seeing this word popping up. And as I always say, we know that repetition is the greatest teacher. So when things are repeated... Oftentimes, there's a meaning to it. And the reality is this, is that for each one of us, we are all invited to do many different things. See, the descendants there who are building a place in Shinar, they're saying, come, let's do this. Come, let's do that. Now, what's going on, as we're going to see, is that what they're choosing to do is different than God's will for their lives. So... The application I want to make for us in the beginning is just because there's an invitation doesn't mean that we should RSVP in the affirmative. Just because there's an invitation doesn't mean we should RSVP in the affirmative. Oftentimes, you and I are invited to do things that is not God's will for our lives. And I don't know how many times, especially as I talk to people who are really young in their faith, they'll say, well, you know, I had the opportunity and I figured that that was just God's will. Opportunity doesn't equal God's will. Opportunity is simply opportunity. And every moment of our lives, each one of us, there are opportunities to do all sorts of things. So we have to remember that just because there's an invitation doesn't mean that that's what we're supposed to walk in. Even sometimes just a good opportunity in our estimation isn't always what we're ought to take. And the Bible is replete from cover to cover of situations that don't look like good opportunities, but God is all over it. Like something like, think about Gideon. Remember Gideon? He was threshing wheat in a cave, hiding out from the Midianites. And God wanted to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. This is in the book of, of Judges. And it's interesting that, you know, Gideon, God calls him, and Gideon goes and gets an army, it's a decent-sized army. It's not anything like the Midianites. And he's got a great army, and everybody wants to do it. And then God says, hey, look, I can't win with this army. There's too many of them. I've never once met a general. I mean, I don't really know if I've even met a general. But if I had met a general, I've never met a general who says, look, I, I just need a smaller army. This army is just too big. That'd be like saying, look, you know, can your bank account ever be too big? You're like, uh, no, no. Right? No, nobody says, I have too much money in my bank account. But in effect, that's what's going on. God wants to deliver the children of Israel from the Midianites. And, and there you have Gideon. And he's got a decent number of people. And God says, there's just too many of them. And there was a little test that was given with the way they drank the water out of the brook. And God whittled that down from 3,000 men to 300. Man, God just wiped them things out by 90%. And God's like, this is the army I want to win with. And I think it's an important lesson for us because just because there's an opportunity, there's an invitation, come do this, come do that, doesn't mean that we're supposed to take it. Invitation is not enough. When you get an invitation, you should say, Lord, should I be doing this? So if your friends say, hey, listen, 
you know, come with us. We're going to get rich. Oh, that sounds nice. What are we going to do? Oh, we're just going to knock that bank off over there. You don't need to pray about that. You know what the Bible says. And that's an important lesson because sometimes we want to pray about things that we know we shouldn't do, but God's word already says don't do it. So there's no need to pray about that. It's really like, it's a, there's no prayer that's a wasted prayer. But it's not like, oh, Lord, I, I want to go just, you know, I want to go stick up this bank and get some money. You don't have to pray about that. God's word just says don't steal. But you ever notice that sometimes when we really want to do something, even if we know God's word says don't do it, we just still keep pushing and pushing against it? Because like we want it to change because we have different desires. And prayer is not getting our will done in heaven. Prayer is getting God's will done on earth. So when we pray, God says, no, no, it's not about you getting, you know, me to put a, a smiley face on your, your plans for your life. Prayer is getting God's plan placed in our hearts so we can live it out. And what's interesting here is, is these men and women who are here in the plains of Shinar, there's a plan. Hey, let's make bricks. Let's bake them. They're like, hey, let's do some building here. It's interesting. In verse 4, come, let us build ourselves a city and a tower whose top is in the heavens, and let us make a name for ourselves, lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. Now, this is really where you start to see what the issue is. They want to build a city. There's nothing wrong with a city inherently. A city is morally neutral when you think about it. A city is just a conglomeration of a lot of people in a small area. But the problem is, is it's not just about building a city. First, they want to build a tower up into heaven. And the reality is, is no matter how you look at it, the idea of building a tower up into heaven has spiritual connotations to it. And the idea is it's man's attempt saying, look, we want to exalt ourselves, elevate ourselves up into the realm of the divine. And if you look at every religion in the world, every religion has some sort of a map, some sort of a grid as to how a human being transcends into a a greater area of human flourishing. And it's all a matter of what is the, the map that they give. And the reason for me, Christianity is by far and away the most compelling because it's the only one that says, it's not about what you do, it's about what God does for you. In every belief structure. And don't think it's just like people say, oh, it's just, you know, religious. Atheism is a religion. Hope you guys know that. Even though the religion is that there's no God, it's still a faith-based assumption. And they believe that the way to make the world a better place is to get God out of everything because God's the big boogeyman. You know, it's amazing. Atheists are the most angry about somebody who they don't believe in. I mean, isn't that delusional? Getting all worked up. And I have some friends who I love very dearly who don't believe that God exists. I'm like, but if he doesn't exist, why are you so angry at him? It's a great question. I've never met a passive atheist before. Have you? I mean, someone who's an atheist, like, I'm an atheist. And you start talking about Jesus, they freak out there. Just like, they get all upset. And I'm like, man, for someone you don't believe in, it's amazing. You get so angry, it doesn't even exist. Or maybe you're just hiding. And then they get mad at you. See, Christianity teaches that God is perfect and humanity is not. And the only way to bridge that difference is for God to come down, become a man, to live the life we could never lead, to die the death that we deserved. 
that we might, by the nature of his spirit, be connected to him. Everything else, it's a, it's a do-it-yourself adventure. You can try and do as much yoga. You can be the most flexible person in the world. You can clear your mind. You can, to, to a point of no mind, that's what a man named Eckhart Tolle talks about. Getting you to a point where you have no thoughts. I mean, what good is a brain if you're not going to think? <laughs> I mean, Seriously. What good is if you follow Buddha and you detach yourself from emotion? When God gave you emotion, and there's some really great emotions like joy and love and peace, that's an emotion. So why do we want to detach ourselves from either our brains or our emotions? Or there's all sorts of other religions that says you need to detach yourself from the needs of your body. And so all sorts of ascetic practices where we don't get married and we don't ever eat anything. I had a friend who was a breatharian for a while. Serious? I can't even make this stuff up. I used, to, I used to give him a hard time. I'm like, so when you really want to get crazy, you go like, you know, take a big deep breath. And he would just look at me like, Daniel. I'm like, you know, so like when, like when you want it's dinner time, it's... You know, they breathe in your mouth, you know, in your nose, out your mouth. How do you do that? See, I mean, I'm, I'm being kind of cheeky, but the, rea- the reality, the reality is that people try all sorts of things. And the reality is God doesn't want you to shut up your minds. He just wants your thought life to be under the authority of Jesus. God doesn't want you to shut up your emotions. He just wants our emotions to be under the authority of Jesus. God doesn't want to divorce us from the appetites of the body. He just wants those appetites under the authority of Jesus. All of our sins that we commit, our sin nature, is our thought life now outside of the authority of Jesus. And we think all sorts of either self-deprecating thoughts where we think less of ourselves. The cross of Jesus Christ don't let you think less of yourself. Because every time you think, oh, I'm a terrible person, Jesus is like, you're right, but I love you enough to die for you. So lighten up. If you have a self-exalting kind of a mind where you just think, yeah, check me out. I'm awesome. Some people are like that. But then the cross of Jesus Christ, hey, listen, I died on a cross because of your mistakes. Take it down a few notches. See, our thoughts, God wants us to think. We want our thoughts to be under the authority of Jesus. Our emotions. God is angry in a righteous way. That's why it could say in the book of Ephesians, be angry, but do not sin. That's why it says that. There is a way to be angry and it not be sinful. Now, especially all of us, I can't even say you guys, when you're getting angry, don't say, hey, this is righteous anger. Any, anytime you're trying to justify your anger as righteous, I guarantee it's unrighteous. Okay, so don't, don't try and pull that. See, the reality is, is that God hates sin in a righteous way. God hates injustice. But what we do is we see something that makes us angry and then we lash out in selfishness. So our emotions, God wants our emotions. God's given us passionate emotions so that we'd be passionate for him. And God wants us to love people relentlessly and recklessly. And these are good things. But when you take emotions outside of the authority of Jesus, we have a problem, right? The appetites of the body. Food's a good thing. I happen to like it very much. I like to make jokes and talk about it. Food, you need it. Sometimes you get hungry. But if you take your 
eating outside of the authority of Jesus, you get gluttony or something else. If you take your desires for rest, I mean, and we need to sleep. I mean, God even instituted a Sabbath day so that we'd chill out for a day, that we'd, that we'd step back from the busyness of the work. But if you take that under the authority of Jesus, you end up getting laziness, which is a sin. Sexual desires, we're all grateful for them. If your parents didn't have them, you wouldn't be here. But you take that out from the authority of Jesus, then you have all sorts of sexual immorality and impurity. So in every area, your mind, your emotions, your body, God gave us those for a reason, but you take them out from under the authority of Jesus, and we have all sorts of issues. And the Bible teaches that the exaltation of a man or a woman, of mankind, comes solely from our acceptance of his son who stood in our place as the perfect one. But everything else is a Tower of Babel. Whatever your approach is, whatever the thing it is that you are trying to justify your existence in the eyes of God, that is your Tower of Babel. That is your attempt to get yourself into heaven, to build a life that you can stand on before God and say, this life is worthy of acceptance into glory. But the problem is, is God never ordained for man to build and erect a tower to get there. God's plan was always for us to realize that we can't get there. And that's why he sent his son. Blessed are the poor in spirit. Blessed are those who mourn. That's humanity responding to the reality that in and of ourselves, we can't get it done. And there's that pivot verse Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. It pivots. And then it says, and they shall be satisfied. They shall be filled. And then you have all those positive attributes. It's beautiful. Because it's what Jesus does. So these men in the plains of Shinar, they decide, I want to erect a tower to make it to heaven. Notice what else they want to do. I want to make a name for myself. And then what it says here, in the middle of verse 4, let us make a name for ourselves. I always think of Proverbs 16, 18. Most people say pride goes before a fall. You guys ever heard that verse? If you actually read Proverbs 16, 18, it actually doesn't say that. It says pride goes before destruction and a haughty spirit before a fall. So it's even worse. Pride goes before destruction. See, the reality is this. Each one of us and all of humanity from all eras, in all nationalities, in all age ranges, everybody either glorifies themselves or they glorify God. You can't glorify yourself by glorifying God. He is either the object of your affections or we are our own objects of affection. And I, I like that about the Bible. There's no gray area. You're either in the spirit or you're in the flesh. You're either seeking and glorifying God or you're glorifying yourself. As it said, and I've said it before, you're either a saint or you ain't. And that's what the Bible teaches. And that's, people struggle with that because we want to live in a day and age where people don't want to make those distinctions. But Jesus said, you either gather with me or you scatter. You're either for him or against him. 
And, and Jesus makes a very clear distinction. That's why he says, I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. Because he's saying, look, you're in one of two camps. That's the way it is. Now, what's interesting is what's going on here in a lot of ways is that they, notice why they're making a name for themselves in verse 4. Lest we be scattered abroad over the face of the whole earth. They didn't want to be scattered. And really what they were doing is they were rebelling against God's blessing to Abraham in Genesis 9-1, which says, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. God's desire was for them to branch out into all that he created. And they're just saying, we're going to stay together. We're going to build this tower. We're going to make a name for ourselves. We're going to protect ourselves by being together. When God's will was that they be scattered. So really the issue here is rebellion. It's rebellion. Now, they have this plan. And then in verse 5, it says, But the Lord came down to see the city and the tower which the sons of men had built. And the Lord said, Indeed, the people are one and they have one language. And this is what they begin to do. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Come, let us go down and there confuse their language that they may not understand one another's speech. Now, do you see what's going on here? God is looking upon them and he's saying, look at what they're doing. And I hope you take notice of this because I think this is important for us to realize. The Lord says, the people are one, their language is one, and this is what they begin to do. No, notice this. Now nothing that they propose to do will be withheld from them. Now, uh, Pastor Jason Ritchie always gives me a hard time because that tells us something very powerful about what happens when humanity is united. God says, because they're of one language, because they're of one speech, because of, they're of one mind, they can accomplish anything. And God thwarts their ability to accomplish anything because it was all about rebellion. Now, imagine how much the Bible speaks about unity within the body of Christ. Imagine what could happen with a group of people who are unified in the spirit of Jesus for God's glory. What can be accomplished? If you notice, and we all have to be careful of this, and it's really big at evangelicalism today because everyone's trying to make you, this is what you should believe and this is who you should be against Christian-wise. I don't know, I was talking to someone and they were like, oh, you know, Saddleback, Rick Warren. I'm like, Man, Rick Warren, man, people are, are getting saved reading The Purpose Driven Life. Before his own master, he stands or falls. And, you know, and if so, I know some of you, I'm even saying his name, like, oh, Pastor Daniel's for Rick Warren. Look, I'm for anybody who's promoting Jesus. And I, listen, we need to be careful not to let petty things, things that we don't even understand, like this whole, it's funny, this whole Christ-Islam thing. If you know anything about Rick Warren, people are saying, oh, he believes that Christianity and Islam are the same. Just read his, read his discussions about this. The things where he supposedly said it, nobody ever listened to what he actually said. And people freak out. Because you know what the thing is? Jesus said a house divided against itself can't stand. And the Satan will do anything, anything to divide the church. Jesus is... I wanted to thank you so much for listening in at Jesus is Real Radio. I am blessed and humbled that you would take the time and you would grow alongside of this. Now listen, the teaching on Christian Radio, it's amazing. Praise God for all the teaching. But listen, 
Just receiving God's word is not God's design for you as a disciple. It, Jesus didn't say, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to listen to good Christian teaching. Jesus, in effect, said, listen, if you want to be my disciple, I want you to be part of the family of God, the people of God, the church. Now, listen. Believe me, I know church is not easy. There's all sorts of people at church. Sometimes things don't go well. I know for many of you, you probably have church baggage because you got hurt or something went on. But listen, God designed a community of believers, a congregation to be the primary way that we are discipled. And so listen, you need to be involved in a local church. God wants you to be growing with a group of people. You need to be in a church that teaches God's word unashamedly, not one that's going to make excuses. You need to be in a church where the pastor's going to say things that you're not going to like. Why? Because then you go to the Lord and say, Lord, what do you want me to do with this? You need to be in a church with people who are, aren't exactly like you. Because in church, when iron is sharpening iron and you're getting rubbed a unique way by someone who you wouldn't normally hang out with, God will do something amazing. So listen, if you're in the Portland, Vancouver metro area, come join us here at Crossroads. But wherever you are, find a good church, not only because God wants you to, but because God wants you to be blessed there and God wants to use your gifts as a blessing in the people of God. God bless you.